This is CouncilCast, part of the Legal Talk Network, and I'm your host, Karen Conroy. When you face a complex case outside your expertise, you bring in a co-counsel for next-level results. When you want to engage, expand, and elevate your firm, you bring in a marketing co-counsel. In this podcast, I bring in marketing experts who each answer one big question to help your firm achieve more. Here's today's guest. I'm Merit Khan, CEO of Select Sales Development, and we work with professionals who are exceptionally very good at what they do, and they're frustrated because it should be easier to do business than it is, and it should be way easier to grow their practice, and so we help them say all the right things, do all the right things to get and grow business. Oh, that's great. So first of all, hello, Merit, and thank you for being here. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Karen. It's a pleasure. And uh, this ties right in with so much of the work that we do with attorneys where I have an MBA and they I bring in the business side of things. And this is not stuff that they, they learn in law school, but they feel like they're these really successful, intelligent people. And so it's stuff that they should, should sort of inherently know, which makes no sense. Like, you know, this is stuff we have spent a lot of time figuring out. So this is going to be a great topic that I feel like lawyers are going to value a ton. And so the topic and the question that we are going to talk about is what are the four words that can transform your sales? So first question I have before we get really deep into it is how do you approach professional services like lawyers who don't even really like to think of it in terms of sales? Like they really feel like they're advocates and they're kind of doing this this work that they don't want to even call it sales. Right. Yeah, that's a fantastic place to start because when you really think about it, you know, you didn't go to law school and go through all of that effort and rigor to come out of it and be a salesperson, right? Yes. Like you are a professional. It required a lot uh, expense, time, effort, all of that to go into that. And so it's not unusual and I've worked with attorneys for two decades, more than two decades, and they're really frustrated because they don't want to be perceived out in the world as like just a salesperson. They want their expertise to stand on its own. They worked really hard for that degree and the credibility that they've built over their career. But then they get to this point where they recognize that to be a partner in a firm or to start your own firm, you have to be a rainmaker. You have to be able to reliably, consistently bring in business to the firm to make it to partner status. And that's where the big money is. That's where the real cachet and and prestige is. And guess what? At the end of the day, that's how you are influential in the marketplace. And so I really would look at it more because, you know, let's not be in an argument with reality. I'm not going to convince you that sales is not a dirty word in a 30-minute podcast. And I'm probably not going to convince you of that if I had a year of of talking with you every day. If you don't, if you feel like that about sales, you're just going to feel that way. So let's not try to convince you otherwise. Let's give you some tools that don't make it feel pushy and salesy and aggressive so that you really can step into your expertise, use that to develop your influence with other people. And we actually, it's in the name of our company, Select Sales Development. Really what it means is, 
At the end of the day, we want you to stop selling, but we want you to start getting selected. And yeah. to get selected, you have to, it's a dialogue. It's a conversation. It's not a monologue. It's not about me trying to get the words right to sell you. It's about us having a conversation so that you can discover for yourself that we are a good match, that we can solve your problem, and that we'll work well together. Yeah, while you were talking, I'm picturing the rainmaker that you were describing, but then I'm also picturing this kind of unique term for lawyers that, you know, the ambulance chaser, that is the flip side of that. And I think that's the fear, is the ambulance chaser is the one that you're describing that's not having the conversation. They are chasing it. They're desperate. They're they're everything every lawyer doesn't want to be. But the rainmaker is a totally different kind of approach. And so if you really kind of, kind of take those two roles as two different ends of the spectrum, then all of a sudden you can start to think about sales in two different ways. A hundred percent. Yes, exactly. <laughs> you nailed it. And I think, you know, I, I've listened to several episodes, uh, previous episodes of your podcast, and I think the the thing that makes this such a great show is that it's really an opportunity for attorneys to focus on the marketing aspects of what are they doing to make it easier to bring in qualified prospects to their business. Yeah. And then you it's all about having the right conversations to turn those qualified leads into paying clients. Yes. And that's the distinction and and I think that a lot of times people confuse and collapse the ideas of marketing and sales, but yes. marketing is everything that happens before a conversation. Once you're in a conversation, sales begins. And what I found over the years is that it's certainly frustrating when your marketing isn't working effectively and you don't feel like you have enough in your pipeline and every conversation carries more weight and yeah. and you feel more pressure to close a deal because you don't have a lot in your pipeline. But I think the most frustrating part is when marketing is working and you're paying for each of those qualified leads but then you're not converting them into yes. paying clients. And that's yes. even more challenging because now you've paid good money. And right. if and you're, you're wasting, wasting exactly, yes. exactly. Yeah, I talk to people about this in terms of SEO all the time, where they are spending all this money, you know, and for lawyers, SEO is pretty much the most expensive industry, and they're throwing all this money into it. And then I look at their website, and it's a disaster. And it's the same, you know, <laughs> your website should be a, a selling tool, for one thing, and it should be part of the whole plan. And if you're getting people to that website, and then and then nothing happens from that point or it's not doing it right or it's not uh, set up right or there's a problem there, all of that money is such a waste. Couldn't agree with that more. And <laughs> there's the one little tweak to, to that. I think rather than the website being a tool that sells for you, think about the website as a tool that opens a, pros a prospective client's mind to the potential of of you solving their problem. Yes. It, it's a slight distinction, but honestly, your your website and all your marketing materials are really just designed to get you to the point where as a prospective client, I think, okay, this person, this firm is got it dialed in enough. They're speaking my language. They're speaking to my concerns. There's enough resources here. It's clear. It's easy to navigate. They're professional. 
I want to talk with them. So it's really just about opening the door, that crack. And then the rest of it, you have to engage properly and effectively in the sales process. Right. You're not selling t-shirts. It's not the gap. It's not like you're going to complete the sale on the website. The sale, you know, it happens after they've picked up the phone and then you've had that conversation. So that leads right right into the rest of the, the question. So let's talk about the big four words in terms of sales. So you get your website dialed in, you've got somebody on the phone, and then what? (laughs) All right. (laughs) This is the meat and potatoes. Are you ready? Yes. All right. So for 20 years, 20 plus years, I've been working with entrepreneurs, business professionals, you know, attorneys like we've discussed, and I've taught them a framework. So I call it the open for business framework. It's really three key components. It's your mindset, what you think, the mechanics of what you say, and it's being in motion. So in other words, what you do. So mindset, mechanics, motion. So if you think about those as the three components to being successful, I would say in anything that you do, but for the purposes of our conversation, turning good marketing into paying clients, those are all good things, right? Typical sales training or business development, you know, knowledge, all the things that you're going to read and hear out in the marketplace are going to have some element of those three components, right? We've got to think more as possible. We've got to know what to say in a situation. And we've got to be consistent doing actions and behaviors that generate business. Right. We're all agreed on that. Yes. The challenge is, how do we create the awareness, the opportunity in a prospective client's mind that has them be open to the idea and the possibility of doing business with us? So what I like to say is, The first step to a closed sale is an open mind. Oh, nice. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. You can quote me on that one, Karen. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I like that. So, And it ties right in for this whole idea of being open for business and also just where we started, the idea that you're a business and that, you know, this is a sales call. So, you know, okay, so how, how do you walk people through that idea? So imagine if I was to ask you, so are you interested in this? Do you want to hear about what I offer? You want to hear about my credentials? You know, can I tell you all about me? Let's learn about each other. All of those things, it's pretty easy for me to tell you, no, no, I'm not interested. No, thanks. Just looking. I'm just, you know, calling around, doing some initial due diligence, right? It's easy for them to kind of put you off. But the moment I use the four magic words that will transform your sales, which are, are you open to... Oh. The game changes. It's oh. a different ball game after that. Oh no, mic drop. Um, yeah, I feel like I need to get the little drum roll. <laughs> exactly. I should. I should have sound effects in my office. Okay. So, are you open to? Okay. Are you open to sharing with me what the situation is that you're in and? why you think you are in need of legal counsel. Are you open to really being straight with me and telling me the nuts and bolts of the scenario you're in and what you're hoping for from an attorney-client relationship? You know, there's a lot, and it doesn't matter what you end the sentence with or the question, it matters how you start. Okay. So the first step of a closed sale is an open mind. So if you think about it, imagine you know, and and listeners, follow along, play along, uh, you know, except if you're driving, don't do this if you're driving, (laughs) but take one of your hands and make a fist. 
imagine that this is your prospective client's mind, right? It's a closed mind, a closed fist. And in your other hand, imagine you're waving a $20 bill or a $50 bill, right? And all day long, this represents your value. All day long, you're trying to jam that $50 bill into your prospect's closed mind. You you know, imagine (laughs) it's just fruitless, right? Right, yeah. You can't... You can't pick up any money with a closed fist. Before our value can land, before our ideas, our solutions, our expertise has any opportunity to make a significant difference or a change or an improvement for our prospect, we have to open that fist. We have to open their mind so that our value can lay neatly on top, so that they're open to receiving it. I'm picturing (laughs) when my kids first started to learn to eat solid food <laughs> you know okay like, all right there, where are we going with this like, with with the with the spoon and like of yeah. course like especially with my first I'm like I'm not giving her any like sugary stuff so I'm sitting there with like sweet potatoes or something kind of gross you know <laughs> and I'm like come on let's try it and she's like right no I'm like no so I mean the first step is that they have to open their mouth and decide that they're willing to to try it you know, and so for the yes. same reason, like if you start to get to ahead of yourself in that whole sales process, it's just off-putting. Like it's any kind of relationship where someone is just going to have such a gross kind of bad first impression and you're getting ahead of yourself. And, you know, like even in dating where they, they go too, oh, yeah. too far too fast and and that's the end like that you can't you can't redo that initial experience so exactly. oh that's that's so good okay so are you open to and it and it doesn't really matter what you say after that Exactly. You can make a lot of mistakes. Now, I recommend that you have a good plan of action. You have questions that are very deliberately designed to take a prospect through a process where they have an opportunity to discover for themselves that they really do need your help and your expertise, maybe even more than they thought. And so you do that with a very uh, series of questions that, you know, start with general things like tell me about your situation all the way down to, you know, what have you done to try to fix it? How has that worked for you? Who else are you involving in the decision-making process besides yourself? You know, what have you budgeted for this? What's comfortable? Like, there's a lot of technique and the mechanics of selling, right? The nuts and sure. bolts that I could teach you. But the the game changes when you start any of that with that magic transformational phrase of are you open to? Because really it's, and it's also, let me say it this way, it's not just about opening your prospect's mind to a new yeah. possibility. I think especially, you know, nowadays when we've you know, just been through a lot of change in the marketplace globally, then we have to ask ourselves this question now. Yeah. Am I open to new ways of doing business, new ways of serving clients, new ways of of getting prospective clients? And yeah. and another question that I, I, I like to ask my audience is I do a lot of keynote speaking these days virtually, but certainly back in the day was, you know, in person. And now yeah. there's a lot of hybrid events. But one of the questions I always start my programs with is have you already decided it can't get any better or are you open to a new possibility? Oh, so the are you open to start is where you start. So before you even start asking all those kind of research questions about that you were mentioning, you know, where have you started? What, What is your budget? That all comes after the are you open to? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. You know, are you open to having a conversation with me to see if we might be a match? 
Yeah. Right? It's just different than, are you interested in having a conversation with me? I can say no to interest. If I say I'm not open to it, I'm actually admitting I'm not open-minded. And pretty much nobody wants to do that. Right. And, I mean, typically, most most lawyers schedule calls in the same way that I do in that they schedule them with me. I don't schedule them, you know, I don't seek it out and have a sales team that is, you know, doing cold scheduling or some weird thing like that. They are scheduling and they're choosing to have the call. So to start the call and say, are you open to this, you know, this conversation or whatever the rest of that your sentence is, I can't imagine how they could say no, because then it's like, well, then why did you schedule this call? <laughs> You're the That's one. That's fair. Yeah. You, know, like, you you wanted my time right now. <laughs> what What is, how is this, how did that happen? <laughs> Who did that? Well, did somebody else schedule yes, the call? <laughs> exactly. So that's a great point. And you could just start by acknowledging that they're open. Yes. You know, hey, yeah. I wanted to really thank you for blocking this time for us to have a conversation. Yeah. Obviously, you're open-minded to professional legal advice. And yeah. I would imagine you've done some due diligence to see what your other options are. In this conversation today, are you open to really sharing with me uh, the details and or the overview and and really what you're hoping for from a relationship with your attorney because yeah. I, I think that's going to differentiate as well because a lot of you know when you have an initial consultation and I went through this myself on on the well not I'm not an attorney but you know as a client on the client yeah. side interviewing attorneys and going through that process when I was going through my own divorce and then contempt of court cases and all the drama that goes along with those fun situations but yeah you know, one of the things that w- that really distinguished, and I think it actually made me a better coach in those situations because I had the experience of being on the other side, yeah. was to really be able to say, you know, the reason I made the decisions that I did about choosing the the representation that I did had to do with how well they really balance their level of empathy for my situation, but also their level of assertiveness that they actually were the right person for the job, they were going to take good care of me, and I trusted them. Yes. And that happened quickly. And, and I think that, you know, that gets to when I mentioned the the open for business framework, there's the the mechanics of that transaction and the conversation. And then there's being in action, making sure you have enough calls coming in. Yes. But that mindset piece is so important to the success of the whole thing. Yeah. And and one of the important pieces, mindset, you know, we, in a longer conversation, we can go really deep into all three aspects of the, the mindset. But one of the most important pieces of a strong mindset to do business is your emotional mindset. Yes. And what I mean by that is at this point in time, back, back, you know, when I used to start, when I started talking about emotional intelligence, most people in the audience hadn't really even heard the term. Nowadays, yeah. it's pretty, pretty common, pretty familiar, but generally what it means is how well you want you understand your own emotions and the impact you have on other people. And when you do the work to understand that, then you can adjust your approach and you can better, you can make better decisions about how to interact with somebody. Yeah. Let me, let me give you an example because I think it, it sounds a little like, okay, that yeah, sounds that's good a in different theory, but understanding. what does that mean? Exactly, because I had a different understanding of, of emotional intelligence. So yeah, tell me what that means yeah. and then um, we'll circle back. So a good example would be, and, and 
you know, I think at this point we're all kind of tired of the pandemic as an example, but (laughs) if you'll indulge me, it (laughs) is a pretty global common shared experience. So it's a good, it makes for a good story. But, you know, in the very beginning, we didn't know what was up. We didn't know what was happening. It was a lot of confusion, a lot of chaos, and people were kind of at a standstill, right? But at the same time, we still need to, you know, reach our business goals, right? We still yeah. need to be doing outreach. So we're in this weird dilemma. We want to be empathetic with other people and, you know, not be pushy. But at right. the same time, if we have solutions that could help people, it's important to be assertive, not aggressive, but assertive with those solutions. Sure. So in a person in a selling activity, uh, a, whether you're a sales role or you're a professional and you're, and you're having consultations, you know, during that period of time or any period of time, if you were too empathetic and too low on assertiveness, no matter what you were trained to say, out of your mouth would come, you know, it's it's a really challenging time right now. Why don't we just, you know, check back in six months. We'll see how right. things are going. See yeah. if I can help you then. All right. Well, that seems good. And you feel warm and fuzzy that you've done something and you've proved that you are caring or whatever. But honestly, if you have a solution and they yeah. need it, you're not right. helping them by not offering no. it. Right Now, if you're the flip side, if you're too assertive and you don't have any empathy, well, then you're kind of a jerk because that right. person says, you know, like, well, yeah, you know, we're all dealing with something. So anyway, um, about your sales <laughs> issue. Get you over know, it. And that's, yeah, like, yeah, get over it. It's like, yeah. well, that's not assertive. That's too assertive. So right. really what you want and and the, the trick, the secret to strong emotional intelligence is there's tools that can help you assess all of the attributes that make up your complete emotional intelligence. And what you're really looking for is for all of those attributes to be somewhat in balance. So somebody who's got a balanced level of empathy and assertiveness might say, you know, it's really tough out there. There's a lot of uncertainty at this point in time. And we can't solve all the world's problems, but if you're open to it, how about we focus on that one thing that we really could solve if we put our heads together? And why don't we start with what's the situation that is, you know, really a a challenge for you that working with an attorney in my area of expertise would help resolve? Oh, that's so good. I love the balance between the I can I could hear that balance between the empathy and the assertive. So when when I finished my MBA, we had this like a whole series of sort of personality tests. We did the Myers-Briggs, whatever, but we did an emotional intelligence test and they basically like throw threw up a whole bunch of uh, faces that had some sort of, you know, expression. And we were supposed to judge. And basically, if we got it right, it showed whether we had, you know, that was measuring our emotional intelligence. So my, I always thought it was like, basically, if you can read people, and if you can kind of understand or, you know, be empathetic or understanding and compassionate of that other person's feeling. So it sounds more like it's more of a understanding of your own levels and your own balance between those two things is the way you're describing it. So is it both or, or what? Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, it really, it's a great question. You know, it, it really, it, there's so much to it. Yeah. It really is both. It's okay. It's understanding your own wiring sure. so that if you noticed an imbalance, you can take the necessary steps to correct it. I'll okay. give you another like quick little example. One of the other combinations that I like to look at is the relationship between optimism and reality testing. So those are two independent findings that we observe uh, in an emotional intelligence assessment. So this is where, you know, I'm not quite sure how they would get to this level of detail in the facial cues part of the assessment. That might have been just sort of a tip of the iceberg type of uh, tool that you used. But one of the things that you know, that's a really interesting imbalance to look at. And sometimes they're in balance, so it's all good. But I tend to be very high optimist. So I'm gonna I'm gonna see opportunity and possibility in just about anything. Yeah. And when silver lining. I, yeah, oh, absolutely. Oh, that'll yeah. work out. Pandemic, no problem. Yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna crush my goals. Yeah, no problem. Oh, there's no more keynote stages? No problem. I'll I'll find a way <laughs> we'll to replace we'll all that business. Yeah, yeah, no problem. <laughs> But high optimism and low reality testing, it, it shows up everywhere. It's like, yeah. oh, yeah, I, I'll, I'll meet you at five. Completely uh, unrelated to any traffic or weather that, you yeah. know, like oh, I'm not any making realities. any adjustments, no yeah. reality check at all. Now yeah. I know this about myself. So I work pretty hard to make sure I'm balancing those. So example, yeah. in fact, I was on a, a call this morning with a prospective client and she said to me, you know, I really like everything that you said about your program and how you coach and everything looks really great. And I just, I need to sleep on it. And you know, and let's just talk tomorrow. And I thought my happy ears heard all the things I wanted to hear. You're yes. great. I like that. I like everything I've heard, but I've learned that I can't let that, I can't end it there. Right. So I have ha- learned to say like, I really appreciate all the great things that you said. I just, I gotta be honest with you. I wasn't picking up on your enthusiasm. What did I miss? Like, yes. now she's telling me all the things that she's like, well, I really did like this. And I really did like that. Not that that was not like technique I wasn't trying to manipulate her. I wanted her, but also to be clear, but I also wanted to hear for myself. What specifically did she like? I yeah. followed that up, of course, with, okay, so, and I just said it as it is. I said, I tend to like to hear all the great things when people share them like you've done. But if there was that one objection... What's the one thing that gives you pause? And I don't, you know, I'm not going to say to you like, oh, if I could show you a way that we could handle that objection, uh, like, yeah. don't worry about that. I'm not going that route. I'm just curious. Yes. And then she she said the one thing, which was a very detailed thing about one class out of the month that she thought she might have a conflict with. And so is it really worth it? And I was like, okay, great. Thank you for sharing that. You know, let me think about how we might create a workaround for that. And, sure. you know, I understand, I want to honor your process, but, you know, where are you at? Scale of one to 10. And and she said, I'm, I'm kind of at a nine. And I said, do you usually make decisions at a nine? And she said, yeah, I kind of do. And I said, well, <laughs> okay, so are we talking tomorrow about putting our plan together or are we talking tomorrow to see if we are working together? And she said, Okay, let's just work out the the specifics of the plan. So I Perfect. thought, okay, 
And that's and awesome. I mean, that like yeah. worked her through exactly. that. You know, we all know what would have happened if you were just like, okay, you go, you sleep on it, you do that, you know, you do yep. you. And you know what would have <laughs> happened? She would have been like, uh, there's something. And she might not have even worked it out. She just would have kind of set it that's over right. to the side. And then you wouldn't have heard from her for a week or maybe, or you would have exactly. had to follow up. And so then it just, it just kind of gets cold. Exactly. Yeah. And I would never have known that about myself, how that emotional mindset was the foundation and all of the skills that I had learned and mastered about the mechanics of selling and transacting business, all of that layers on top of how I'm naturally wired. And things like optimism and reality testing can disrupt and negate all of the good training that I have and and it would be unbeknownst to me. Right, right. And you would just be sitting there confused and frustrated because your gut instinct without the training would have been, like I said, to just let her go and be nice and yeah. just, you know, kind of cross your fingers and be sort of Pollyanna. Like, oh, it's going to exactly. happen. It's great. <laughs> and meanwhile, yeah. she's ta- she's talking herself out of it. And you've talked her through that, that hurdle that was just like some minor little detail. Oh, that's so good. Awesome. <laughs> I feel like the mindset piece is it's something that you hear more and more and more about lately. But it really is critical in kind of understanding, especially like we're talking about that emotional intelligence where you're coming from, and then how to compensate for whichever direction you lean in. And for most attorneys, let's be real, it's going to be way too heavy on the reality side and not too much on the emotional side. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. So nobody wants to sit and hear the details of the contract before they've even decided to work with you. You know, and so you've got to talk to them about their problems and kind of tap into their fears and their issues and their concerns before you start talking about your rate and the details and the contract and how long this is going to take and how many days this this trial might happen and you know all of those things like yes. you yeah get get that out don't don't jump to that that kind of phase of the conversation make sure you you know balance it out yeah use your expertise to ask the best questions not to dump it all over them thinking that you're going to convince them with how brilliant you are yes yes that's awesome Okay, so Merit, as you know, our audience is full of attorneys that don't have time for books that aren't worth it. So I know you have actually two recommendations for books. <laughs> yes, so overachiever. Your, yeah, that's awesome. I mean, the more books, the better. We all need all the good books. So what are your what are your recommendations? Yeah, the uh, since I knew we were going to be talking about emotional intelligence today, my favorite book is called The EQ Edge. It's nice. Emotional Intelligence and Your Success. It's by Stephen Stein, PhD, and Howard Book. And they actually also are part of an organization called MHS, Multi-Health Systems out of Toronto. That's the assessment that I use in my business to... Have, has that um, been around forever? Yeah. That I mean, that sounds yes. like, like the one that... You know, we have made, I maybe even did in grad school. I was thinking that it might have been because I know they do. There is a facial, there is, (laughs) yes, there is a tool like that that they have in their suite. It's, I use a slightly different emotional intelligence assessment, but that is, that organization, that company has the most scientifically validated assessment tool available in the global marketplace. Oh, I've used it for more than a dozen years. I love it. 
to the person everybody says, you nailed it. And it's got great coaching baked into the the report so that when I debrief it one-on-one with a client, they have that resource to go back to and then you know, it, it's just a great, great And figure tool. out so, where to kind of yeah. start with their yes. thought around their whole sales process, whether they're... Exactly. Because you know, nobody's going to be right in the middle, perfectly balanced. Everybody's going to be on one side or the other. And so you just have to start knowing one way or the other, which thing that you need to work harder at. The other part is going to come yeah. as your gut kind of instinct. And it's just good information to have. Absolutely. So, and so and the magic second? is you lean into your strengths to bring up your weaknesses, not try to like, un, you know, overmanage the weaker areas. But that's a, you know, we could do a whole nother show just on that. Yeah, the totally. other book, the other book I want to recommend, particularly to an attorney crowd is Influence, Science and Practice by Dr. Robert Caldini, C-I-A-L-D-I-N-I. This is, there's a, a new edition. The fifth edition it has the latest up-to-date science. It's really about what he calls the principles of influence. Okay. And there are six of them that he addresses in the book. And the core, the way I describe it is, if we want to be more influential with other people, it's really important to know what has influence over us. Oh, so nice. things like, like authority and social proof and there's principles of consistent and consistence and uh, commitment or commitment and consistency. Anyway, yeah. I love this book. There are um, lots of great stories and examples. And I think for any professional in a position of influence with others, it's really a must read. Yeah, those are really critical just marketing concepts too. How are you, you know, everyone wants to talk about how I'm this great expert. I've got all these these years. Well, how are you going to convey that? It's not going to be your resume, my friends. It's not going to be your LinkedIn profile probably. I mean, if you're putting great stuff out on LinkedIn and posts and things like that, but it probably not the resume part of your LinkedIn profile. People might want to know like what company you work at and, you know, like where you were before that maybe. But that's like step 2 or 3. It's, you know, all of those other things about how you're going to convey your influence and your trust and all of those things. And so we talk about that all the time when we're working with clients. That's that's really yeah, love super it. critical stuff. That sounds awesome. I haven't heard of that one. Uh, so Merit, what's one big takeaway that you want listeners to get from this episode? Uh, I definitely want them to remember the four words that will transform their, their business development. Are you open to? So yeah. wrap those words around just about everything you do. You know, if you'd like to learn a little bit more about the Open for Business framework or you'd like to know kind of, well, which one of those pieces? Is it mindset mechanics or being in motion? That's the one that I should be most focused on. We actually developed what we call as a sales SWAT. And it's, you know, strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. And so we've got an online assessment. It's free. And unlike other online tools where you get kind of this boilerplate report coming back to you, you know, if you answered question six in this way, then you must be this. We actually have human expert eyeballs that look at every single report Uh. that comes across our desk. And we will either do a, a little quick video that's 100% personalized for you to give you our quick analysis and make some initial recommendations. Or in some cases, it makes sense for us to reach back out to you, schedule a conversation so we can go a little bit more into detail about what we learned from the assessment. And um, it's just a great exercise. I'm going to spend an extra minute on this because SWOT analysis are are something that you do 
in business school usually. And this is also something that I've done some posts on and they get the most traction over every other kind of content that I'm you know, putting out there. And so a SWOT analysis, if you haven't heard of it, which, you know, if you went to law school, you probably didn't, maybe, maybe, I don't think they cover that in law school, but is strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. And it's the perfect place to start with any project, any, if you're starting your firm, you definitely need to do this. And you just need to chart these things out. And if Merit has this amazing tool, you definitely need to just kind of go to her, <laughs> her site and use that as a starting point for how to kind of do a big landscape thinking about whatever this is th- thing is that you're looking to go forward with. Uh, highly recommend yeah. SWOT analysis. There's we, we could do a whole other show on that one too. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, Thank you so much for that resource. Absolutely. Let me tell you where to find it. So okay. the best site to go to is my is at my name. So it's MeritKahn, M-E-R-I-T-K-A-H-N dot com forward okay. slash podcast. And okay. I'm sure we'll, we'll link put that in it. the show yeah. notes. Exactly. <laughs> we'll link to that in the show notes as well. And we'll have that there so, so that people can get go in there and, and figure out what those SWOT analysis are and how to kind of organize their thoughts around this. That's that's awesome. Well, okay. Merit, thank you so much for being here. This was such a great conversation. I know there's some like solid you know ideas and things that are unique that uh, a lot of law firms and lawyers are not considering. And this will really give them some good stuff to think about. So thanks again great. for your time. You're welcome. Thanks, Karen. Thank you for listening to this episode of the CouncilCast podcast. Be sure to visit our website at council-cast.com for the resources mentioned on the episode and to give us your feedback. If you enjoyed this episode, I would appreciate if you could rate and review the podcast on Apple and subscribe to your favorite podcast platform. See you on the next one.